You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. Steph, the hammer, Roach, has been motivating herself and others her entire life. Born with cerebral palsy, she started in sports when she was just three years old. She now operates Staying Driven Fitness, a live, interactive, online fitness program for the adaptive population. She's also recently written a book called Driven about her journey. So let's chat with her now. So, Steph, I, I thought that we would just start by talking a little bit about um, you growing up and, and how you first got involved in sports, particularly adaptive sports. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I was born with cerebral palsy, so uh, I will be 33 in January. So I've lived my whole life um, as somebody that has a physical challenge disability. Um, I never really talk about the term disability as referring to myself, but I know that a lot of people in the community use very different terms, Mm -hmm. whether it be disability, different ability. I like to use the word adaptive. I got into adaptive sports um, pretty early on in my life, uh, obviously not really competitively, just kind of being as active as possible. I can remember as early as like three years old, three years old, learning how to swim, which was probably mm. one of the most freeing experiences because it taught me that number one, I was able to be active, but also able to be really independent in the water. Mm-hmm. So at three years old, that was really liberating because everybody else on land is, you know, kind of walking around and there's little me having to use crutches or uh walker or wheelchair stroller to be able to get around. So I think my earliest memory is around three years old. Um, But then when I was about six until I was about maybe nine years old, I did the Empire State Games for the Physically Challenged. Hmm. And that was probably my first taste of like something that's actually competitive, Mm -hmm. you know, and I really liked it. Um, But it wasn't until I got into my adult years during college that I really got into competitive sports. I started doing competitive hand cycling when I was about 19 years old, and that kind of snowballed into the rest of my competitive athletic career. And so what do you think it was about that gap, you know, from from essentially like nine years old to your to in college that or maybe to put it a different way, when you were 19, what what sparked the interest to, to get back into sport? Uh, the biggest thing for me was that I was so involved in college and I wasn't necessarily like, you know, everybody has this picture of college because of all the movies and stuff like that, where, you know, you're going to like raging parties or you're in fraternity sorority. And that really like wasn't my thing. I was very involved in school. Mm-hmm. I was very involved in leadership, um, accessibility leadership. And so I was really focused on the world around me. And I remember seeing a picture of myself uh, and being like, 
I don't really like the way that I look. And it wasn't necessarily that I thought that I was unattractive or that, you know, I didn't have confidence in myself, but I just realized that I was like kind of letting myself go at a very early age um, as far as like being an adult with a physical challenge. Carrying yourself, you know, at a, at a certain weight is really challenging. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was really important to get myself in check because I want to live a very long life. And not to say that, you know, people that struggle with their weight, because um, I certainly am not, you know, the smallest I've ever been in my life. But I find that with a physical disability, different ability, whatever you want to call it, it's, it's more challenging when you're not taking care of yourself and being active, right? And so that's kind of where the spark came from. And then realizing that I was actually good at the sport and I could win some things was kind of cool. <laughs> so I think I, I just kind of kind of thrived off of that feeling. Yeah. And so going back to when you were six and six through nine, what were some of the uh, sports that you competed in or uh, when at the Empire at the Empire Games? Yeah. Uh, were they like being in a track and field events or other? Or yeah. So I have no idea why I chose any of these events. Uh, I, I chose swimming because it was pretty much the only thing that I really like knew. But then I did track and field, which I've never really run a day in my life. And then I decided to do equestrian. So oh. like riding horses <laughs> and for like, my little body, you know, like going on this huge horse was like a, a big, uh, kind of like intimidating thing, but it was also a big confidence booster when I started to learn that these were things that were available to me. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't necessarily ride anymore. I haven't ridden a horse in probably like six years, but I think it kind of just showed me the, you know, the options and what was available to me because I always think about like if people were to Google, like let's say you Google, I don't know, the flu, okay? Whenever you Google something that's medical, you always seem to get like worst case scenario. You never seem to get like the positive, like, you know, uh, the different options. So <laughs> I always found it interesting that like if somebody were to Google cerebral palsy, it's not a one size fits all experience right every person is different so if you know somebody with cp they might experience life completely different than the way that i do and so it was really nice to be able to truly find my own voice and i i have to give my family credit for that because i grew up in such an able-bodied world mm -hmm. that i really like wouldn't have known very many options if it wasn't for, you know, my mom putting me into swimming or something like that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so glad Steph that you mentioned about, you know, uh, about every disability is different and, and, and is unique to an individual, because I think the general society, you know, kind of 
does have maybe one you know perception or or lumps mm-hmm. folks into into groups and and so and and I've had many conversations on this podcast about about that to try try to reiterate reinforce that that it is different for it's a different experience for every single person. There's different you know symptoms, if you will. There's different reactions. There's different you know the body reacts differently to each to each person. So uh, so I wanted to pick up on that. Uh, on the hand cycling that you you um, started at nineteen, how did you how did you learn about that? Was there a program on the campus, or did you did you find a local program? How did you first discover? Yeah, that? so it was kind of like connecting dots. So I had started um, working with a, a trainer, a personal trainer, because I knew I needed to get my mental and physical health like in check, mm-hmm. right? And one of the first challenges he gave me was to give him some goals that I had, but they had to be tangible goals. So being like the the college student that I was, I was like, I want to lose 20 pounds. And he was like, okay, that's cool. But we're going to do that in the process. I need you to give me a physical action that you want to work toward. And I said, okay, well, give me the weekend and I'll, I'll get back to you. Well, that weekend I was going to cheer on one of my friends who was an able-bodied runner, but he was one of the best runners in all the state of Florida. And so when you have a track record like my buddy John had, you always start the race first, okay? Because he was so like, he had such a fast time that like they needed to put him first. But before the runners, before the able-bodied runners, you had hand cyclists. And I'd never seen a hand cycle before. I'd never seen uh, an athlete that was using a hand cycle before. And it was so fascinating to me because they weren't treating the athletes like, oh, this person uses a wheelchair. They were treating them like athletes who happened to use hand cycles. Mm -hmm. And it was a very big like psychological moment for me to see all of these men and women that were very athletic. They, their wheelchairs were off to the side and their hand cycles were front and center. So before I was, because I was there to watch my buddy John, before he went, they went like five minutes before him. So I was like, oh, that's so cool. Like, I, I would love to be able to do something like that. Little did I know, my family happened to have been connected with um, Achilles International, which I'd never known before. And I watched John do his race. And while John was racing, because obviously I couldn't be like side by side with him, I went to look around like the tent area and I met the people that ran the Achilles International uh, South Florida chapter. And I ran into the director. I told them who I was. I told them my, my maiden name. And they were like, oh, my goodness, are you related? And he said my grandpa's name. And I was like, yeah, that's my grandpa. And uh, he's like, oh, my goodness, so nice to meet you. I said, you know, this is really cool. Like, I wonder if I would be able to do that someday. He looked at me. He looked at my shoulders. He looked at my arms. And he said, you're really strong. He said, get on a hand cycle. And I said, I'm really sorry, but I'm here to to support my friend. Let him finish the race, and then I'll be back to come and try it. He's like, yeah, no problem. John finishes the race. He, I think he wins. I think he won the race. And um, I say to him, you know, come with me. He barely looked tired. And I was like, come with me. I, I want to go try something. I got on a hand cycle for the first time. 
And the director said to me, this isn't going to be the last time you do this. And I said, okay. And so I got his number. We kept in touch. And like two weeks later, he messaged me. He didn't ask me. He told me. He was like, you're going to do a full marathon in like nine months from now. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, I'm totally going to do it. So I went back to my trainer and I said, this is my goal. He said, okay. And so we got me set up with a hand cycle. We got me set up with an indoor trainer so I didn't have to be like out in the sun all the Mm -hmm. time. And in like eight months, I trained for 26.2 miles. (laughs) And it was like the craziest experience of my life. But I'll never forget finishing that race. It took me four hours, 34 minutes, and 16 seconds. And I remember looking at that clock going, that's so cool. But this was the moment that I became an athlete because I looked at that clock and said, how can I do better? Right? And that was like my, that was my aha moment of like, I really like pushing the boundaries of what my body is capable of doing. That is awesome. What was the, what was your first marathon? Uh, the Palm Beach Marathon. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The Palm <laughs> Beach Marathon in 2011. That is awesome. Yeah. And and um, so just out of curiosity, are you still doing a lot of hand cycling? I don't do a lot of hand cycling competitively anymore. I did it for four years, so mm-hmm. I didn't just give up on it. I did a lot of races, and I actually um, – hand cycling is what led me to CrossFit because – I wanted to be a better hand cyclist, and in the end, I ended up falling so much in love with CrossFit that it now is my full-time job. So, uh, you know, I think the world works in mysterious ways, but I think after spending four years doing so many races and just doing the same thing repetitively, it was time for me to kind of do something else. But I've dabbled here and there. I I don't want to do it competitively anymore. It's not something that necessarily like sparks my full happiness. I do like getting back on the bike because it's a good feeling, but it's not something that I think I want to compete in. Yeah. Well, and like you said, CrossFit is now your literally your full time yeah. job. So, yeah. and, and I definitely want, want to talk about that. So, um, along the along the way, though, of course, you finished your bachelor's degree. What what is your bachelor's degree in? Yes. And you got a master's degree. What's it in? Yeah. So, uh, and, and this was a very transformative part of my life because I finished my my bachelor's degree in advertising, uh, public re- public relations and communication. So I like full on thought that I was going to go into advertising PR and like I was totally doing internships to do that. And then I got offered a pretty big job opportunity with a corporate organization and I was going to do some disability advocacy stuff for them. And you know, before I signed the contract, I thought about it and I was like, I don't know, but something about this is telling me like I don't want to sit behind a desk and I don't want to be that person. So um, my family, my grandparents are extremely supportive. And when I told them that I wasn't really sure, they were like, 
you know, as long as you go and continue your education, then you can be as unsure as you want, but you need to know that, like, you need to be working towards something. And so uh, I decided to go directly from my bachelor's degree onto a master's degree, but I completely changed courses and uh, I was really into higher education. I thought that I was going to be like a residence director, I was going to go into that kind of thing. And about halfway through my master's degree, I got a job at the Campus Recreation Center. It was 110,000 square feet, and I loved every second of it. I ended up being one of the very first people with a physical disability to actually get a supervisor's position, and I just fell in love with people and with fitness, and getting so passionate about that kind of started turning my gears, and in that same time frame, I started getting a lot of success through CrossFit, and... Um, one of my mentors, she was the director of our whole uh, department. Uh, she's since passed away, unfortunately, but she was always very supportive of what I did um, as a student. And she knew that I wasn't necessarily super passionate about student affairs as much as I was about fitness. So she actually allowed me to do a CrossFit internship for a whole like five months and truly immerse myself in a gym to realize that I could finish my degree, so I got my master's degree, but then I was able to use the skills that I learned in school and start putting together pieces towards a new passion. That was really special because if she would have said no, my life could have been completely different, mm. you know? Yeah, yeah, and and uh, and so obviously you've got a master's degree in education, which still comes into play. <laughs> Most folks probably think that equates to, you know, a traditional classroom, you know, public, uh, you know, either institution of higher learning or, or a public school or something like that. But you're, you're, an, ed you're an educator, you know, in a, in a different sense, right? In a different yeah. I always joke because and I love children, so don't get me wrong, but I always joke because I thought going into school I would be um, either a special education teacher or I would just be like a uh a teacher for like pre-k to like i don't know uh younger like the younger um uh grades right what? or elementary school and i remember doing like a practicum and i was like i don't i don't know that this is for me but i i love coaching adults and i think it's that that sense of connection but also that sense of me proving to them that I still know what I'm doing, even if I look different. Mm. And I don't know if that's necessarily like the best way to put it, but there's something magical about having somebody that looks completely different from you, having very different, different physical ability from you, still being able to help you get the results you want. And I think that that's something that's really special. And I've always really tried to sharpen my skills when it comes to that. And that's why you started Staying Driven Fitness, right? Yeah. Staying Driven Fitness, quite honestly, was a pivot out of the pandemic because just like everybody else, um, you know, I was a small business owner struggling and I owned a CrossFit gym in Nightdale, North Carolina. We had been open for about 
two and a half years before the pandemic hit. And if I'm being completely honest, the the physical gym was very hard to upkeep in the sense of like business-wise, it financially was not doing well. And so the best option for us was to close our doors and pivot. And my husband was the one that actually came up with the idea of turning everything virtual because we had this like three week period where everybody in the whole world was being told, oh, you know, two weeks will go by, it'll be fine. Two more weeks will go by, it'll be fine. And so we had been testing this process of like, okay, while we're waiting for it to reopen, we have to do something because people are paying us money. So what are we gonna do to give them that experience? And I just took what we called our whiteboard experience, so where you show the workout on the whiteboard, mm-hmm. and we learned about Zoom and about Google Meet and all these different platforms, and we figured out what works best for us. And now we run a completely virtual, I would call it a virtual gym, and we run 30 classes a week, um, and we cater to over 70 athletes individually and eight different corporate memberships. So it's pretty incredible. Yeah, that's that's awesome. But you yeah. also do some work with Ability360, right? Yeah, so Ability360 is one of our corporate memberships. So um, what's really cool about Ability360 is I get to do it in person, mm-hmm. which I, <laughs> I love virtual training, but I also love being in person. And the majority of my athletes in my classes at Ability360 are all older. They're either, you know, in their late 60s, early 70s, mid 70s. And so it's it's really cool to be able to kind of cater different classes to different people. I'd say 95% of our population with staying driven is actually people that have different abilities. So people can, you know, be quadriplegics, paraplegics, cerebral palsy, all different kinds of disabilities, and they're still getting their workout in every day, which is awesome to see. Yeah. So so you've recently, real recently, published a book, Driven, which I yeah. hope, hope our listeners will will go and, and, and check out and, and buy. Why did you write that book? Oh, I mean, it's been a long time coming. I've, I've been wanting to write a book since I was about eight years old. Um, for those that remember her show, Oprah had, uh, you know, her book club that yeah. I would uh, listen to or I would see on her show all the time. And I always used to tell myself, you know, one day I'll, I'll have her read my book, right? And like that was always a goal of mine. And I just have always felt like I've connected with people in, in different ways and I thrive off of connection, but I wasn't necessarily ready to write a full book. I still can't believe that I'm 32 years old and like I have a memoir necessarily, but I do think that in my very young years of life, I've experienced a lot of adversity um, and I've experienced a lot of things that most people at this age don't even, couldn't even comprehend. Um, I would say the thing that I'm most proud of is the pivoting that I've constantly done. Um, I'm five years cancer free, so that's a really big mm-hmm. uh, part of my story. And we talk about what cancer has done to my my body, both physically and emotionally. 
Um, I was, I would say, the fittest I'd ever been in my entire life. And I looked on the outside the healthiest I'd ever looked. And I was really, really, really sick. And, you know, through all the chemo and medication that I had to be on many years ago, my my hormones have gotten, you know, off balance and all kinds of things. So sometimes when I look at myself in the mirror, I'm not that same person that I was even six years ago. And you also have to remember, though, that nobody is, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody is the same as they were one year ago, let alone six years ago. And so I think as somebody that is technically, I hate to say it, but like a fitness personality, sometimes I feel like I have like imposter syndrome because I don't necessarily feel like I look the part right now as I'm kind of trying to figure out how to navigate all these different changes that have happened to my body uh, physically, which also then affects myself mentally, you know? Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned, because I was going to talk about one of those adversities that you mentioned was, was the fact that you had the Hodgkin's uh, diagnosis. And, 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 and so what do you want readers to get out of the book? I think the biggest thing that I hope that they can take from the book is nothing about me, is about, is the empowerment of themselves, is that my stories help guide them in the way of people always ask me, well, how did you know you could do that? How did you know that you could compete? How did you know that you, you know, you could go on your first date? How did you know that you could get married? You know, and it's all because honestly, I just asked questions and I, one of the themes that I use in the book is to chase the yes. If somebody says no to you, it's just another opportunity to ask and look for that yes. Mm. You're not necessarily begging for it, but once somebody gives you that opportunity and opens that door, you have to make the most of that opportunity, right? I didn't just like it just didn't like fall into my lap. I mm. had to create some sort of action to be able to move forward. And if somebody said no to me, which many people did, I I fought for it. You know, it, I was the one I'll never forget when I tried to get that job as a supervisor. There were people above me, like three, four people above me that were making the decision to whether or not to hire me. And the highest person at first said no. And the person that was going to be my direct supervisor said, you know, let's give her a shot, you know, and let's just see how she does for one week and see how she does and see how she, because their biggest thing was they didn't know how I was going to adapt. They didn't know how I was going to either reach things that were higher than I could reach or, but at the end of the day, you have to ask people to help you. It's okay to ask people to help. Mm-hmm. It's okay to want to say, hey, uh, you know, Sean, you have this connection. Uh, I really want to try to get my foot in the door. Is there any way that you would be willing to do X, Y, Z? You're not asking for favors. You're not asking for handouts. But sometimes you need to ask somebody to help you. If I couldn't reach something that was six foot tall, I would ask somebody that was six foot tall and say, hey, could you get that down for me? And the coolest thing was when they gave me that opportunity and I proved them wrong, but I more importantly proved myself right, they were willing to trust me with the job, 
right? And I loved my job. I showed up every single day, whether it was a 5 a.m. shift or it was a 6 p.m. shift, it didn't matter to me. I was gonna make the most of the opportunity. And so I hope that when people read this book, they maybe learn a couple things about my life, but they really internalize that and move toward what they want to do in their life. You know, that's, that's my biggest goal. Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's, that's a great takeaway for sure. And, and I, I, before we leave, I have to ask, you know, um, because it it, it struck me when when I was, when I got your book at the Abilities Expo uh, in Phoenix a a few months, a little while back. Um, What's, tell me about your connection with Josh Brolin. (laughs) <laughs> That's so funny. I Everybody wants to know, and obviously because he is extremely talented and he is a wonderful actor, but, you know, uh, we really connected maybe even like eight years ago through a friend of a friend, I think. I don't even really remember how the whole thing began, but I do remember it involved him wanting to support me uh, because I had a t-shirt that he thought was just really cool. And a friend of mine was uh, training him for a project, which I had no idea was a movie. (laughs) Okay. So when I first met him, I had zero clue who he was. I just thought, You know, it's this person that wants to support me. I'm going to just throw them a shirt and, you know, I hope that they enjoy it. No problem. Well, little did I know who he is. I mean, who, what his impact is in, you know, Hollywood and in the movie industry. But he's such a good person. And I think over the years, we've just become invested in each other's lives that it's a genuine connection and what people will find very interesting is that we talk all the time and we you know uh, send videos back and forth and but we have never met in person Mm. and i think that is the true power of connection when you are genuinely just wanting to be part of somebody's progress and you are genuinely wanting to be on somebody's support team um it doesn't matter if you've physically touched the person or not. You know, we, we always joke that someday we're going to be able to give each other the biggest hug in the entire world. But just being able to check in with each other and see how we're doing um, on not just a work level. You know, I, I mean, I love Josh and I'm very proud of everything that he's done. But we rarely talk about his his work life. I would rather know about his beautiful wife and his children and how he's doing emotionally. And I think that's why the connection is so genuine. And when I asked him if he would be willing to write um, something for the back of the book, he immediately said yes. And I couldn't have uh, been more grateful to hear his words and see what he wrote. But I, I'm very lucky to call him a friend, and the fact that he calls me a friend and he calls Ty a friend is very special. So, and that is you're talking about the power of, of connectivity and connections, and and just wanting to wanting to lift every everyone up, right? We're all we're all trying to lift each other up, and so sometimes that's you know, that's the power of relationships. And what was that? What was that shirt? That was so I have to know. <laughs> We don't make them anymore. They, uh, I'll have to send you a picture of it. But it was a shirt that said, uh, I adapt and conquer. 
And the middle of the A in ADAPT was the logo of me from the cover of the book. Ah. So um, it was, I used to work with this printing company that I still work with, um, Green Gorilla Printing, and they used to do all of my shirt uh, projects when I used to compete and things like that. And so, um, you know, it's it's been a really cool experience and uh, I got a really cool friend out of it. So. <laughs> well, I'm glad you mentioned those projects too, because, you know, even at the expo, I know you had some, <laughs> some shirts and merch and stuff. So yeah. it's, not, it's not just, you know, you're doing multiple things and, and wearing multiple hats, if you will. And, and so um, what, how do people connect to you? How do people learn a, about staying driven fitness, you know, whether it's on social or, or your website? Yeah, I would love to hear from more people, especially different organizations. We love working with big organizations as well, um, or just bigger groups in general. So if people want to find us, they can either go to our website at www.stayingdrivenlive.com or Staying Driven Fitness on social. Or if you want to connect with me personally, you can always find me on social at Steph the Hammer.